Matthew chapter 2 today, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor. Thou shalt rule my people Israel. The message will be under this title today. Do you hear what I hear? The story's told of a, of a woman who was traveling overseas years and years ago when a piece of jewelry caught her eye. So she sent a telegram back to her husband that, that read this. I found a beautiful necklace, $500. May I please buy it? When the husband received the message, he quickly sent back a reply and it said this. No, price too high. Unfortunately, though, when the telegram was sent, the period was left out. And the message read this way. No price too high. Every woman's dream. It's amazing how the very same message can be received in very different ways. Depending on who hears it. Such is the case in Matthew chapter 2 when the news reached Jerusalem of the birth of Jesus. We read of the wise men. They came all the way from the east looking for him. Matthew tells us that they came into town asking, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They were seekers. While you would think that that would kind of be the tone and posture of all the Jewish capital city, it wasn't. Verse 3 says that where, uh, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem was with, with him. Even the religious rulers of the day, we read about that, they were called in by Herod. They were asked about the birth of Jesus. And even though they knew all about what was happening and where it was happening, we read where they express little to no personal interest in the infant Messiah. So the passage reminds us of the fact that not everybody's excited about Christmas. Though angels announced the birth of the Savior, not everyone on earth was glad to hear it. I wonder today when somebody says Merry Christmas, do you hear what I hear? Are you touched personally by the news of the birth of Jesus? Or like Herod in Jerusalem of old, are you troubled by it today? Perhaps... Maybe the the, the message of Christ's birth really doesn't even affect you at all. Either way, I want us to consider these three different responses found in our text and how they apply to us today. Looking at the opening verses of Matthew 2, here's what we see first. For some, Christmas is an inspiring message. In Matthew chapter 2, the wise men are the first to respond to the message of Christ's birth. Now, most of the time, what we think we know about the wise men comes from myth and legend. I hate to mess up your grandmother's nativity scene, but the wise men aren't actually present at the manger. They started traveling when Jesus was born, but 
It wasn't at least until after several months after he was born that they actually showed up. Persia to Bethlehem's a long way by foot. And so by the time they got there, Jesus, it says in verse 11 of chapter 2, is a young child. It's probably not in a stable, not in the manger anymore. Also, we tend to assume that there are three wise men, and that's, that's pretty common based on the fact that there were three different types of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But that's probably not the truth because they say a school of traveling astrologers like this would have likely included at least a dozen or so of these wise men. They were probably traveling with a caravan that included uh, themselves, their wives, their servants, their soldiers, their kids, their donkeys, and so on. So, so it's not quite as we have made it out to be sometimes in our pageants. But what we do know about these wise men is that the Greek word translated as wise men in our Bible is the word for magi. That means they would have been a a group of priests who lived in the region of Babylon um, and Persia for many years. The word magic is derived from their name. That might indicate some of their practices. They were students of stars. They were experts in astronomy. That explains why they said in verse 2, for we have seen his star in the east. They noted the presence of a new star on the horizon. It's because they studied it so well, this aroused their interest. The question still remains though, how did they know it was his star? The one born king of the Jews. Well, we're not completely sure. I think we have at least a clue in the Old Testament. We know that there were Jews who lived in Babylon for many years. If you know your Old Testament, you know that was the case. We also know that many of those Jews became very influential within those kingdoms. One of those is named Daniel. In fact, in Daniel 2, there's a very interesting fact recorded for us. Verse 48, Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him rule over the whole province of Babylon and the chief of the governors over who? All the wise men of Babylon. Now, we know that Daniel was a Christian. He was given insight into the coming of the Messiah. And it's at least likely that he shared that knowledge with the wise men that he was entrusted to oversee. That's probably how it got passed down through the years. Either way, we know that these wise men didn't come to Jerusalem based purely on their own studies or their own findings. Somewhere along the way, God had graciously revealed the truth of his son to them. In much the same way, listen to me, those who come to know Christ today must somewhere have their eyes open to who Jesus is and the reality of his lordship. You don't wake up on a Monday morning and say, I'm going to believe in God today. I'm going to repent of my sin today. I'm going to have the faith to go to church and lay it all out there. No, no. God draws you through the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10 says, But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Matthew 16, 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, He's talking to, to, to Simon Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. This is what happened with the wise men at some point. The truth of Jesus was revealed to them. They, they heard that the king of the Jews was born and having seen his star, they were inspired then to respond in faith and in worship to the newborn king. And I believe their response to Jesus speaks to us this morning because it was a response of action. 
They left their homeland behind in pursuit of the king. Their response was not just mental assent. They didn't say to themselves, oh, how nice. The star. The king of the Jews has been born. Our grandparents told us that what happened, the prophet Daniel said it was happened. I guess he was right. That's nice. Good for him. No, later in the chapter, we find the wise men traveling many miles to bring gifts to Jesus, to honor Jesus, and to worship him as Lord. They acted on what they believed was true. It was inspiring to them. Let me ask you today, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? You've heard the truth about Jesus. You've heard that he's the son of God who came to the world to save sinners. You've heard how he lived a perfect life, how he died on the cross as he faced his own father's wrath for our sin, how he was buried but rose again to solidify that he was who he said he was. Maybe you've heard all of that. You've sung songs about all of that. You understand all of that. But what have you done with it? Here's the truth of Jesus uh, being revealed to you this morning. Has it inspired you to make him the Lord of your life? Has it inspired you like it did the wise men to act, to commit, to seek him, to submit to him, to bow before him as the Lord of your life? Listen, that's what the revelation of Jesus Christ should do. It is God graciously drawing you to a saving knowledge of the Savior today. But you cannot just walk out of here having sung about it or heard me talk about it. And now you're a new person. You've got to act by faith. Bowing down in humility, confessing, I am a sinner today. I believe Jesus died to pay the payment for that sin. With his grace, I want to fight that sin the rest of my life. And in repentance and faith, come to him for salvation. I'm so glad you're here today. But being here does not make you a Christian. Confessing Jesus, repenting of your sins makes you a Christian. For some, Christmas is an inspiring message. Notice, secondly, for some, Christmas is an intimidating message. Now, you wouldn't think that that the news of a baby born in a place like Bethlehem would be worrisome to anyone. Nevertheless, we read in verse 3, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. All Jerusalem was troubled. I heard one preacher last week say this. Today, the real meaning of Christmas is buried so far under sleigh bells, Saint Nick, and sheets of wrapping paper that only a Grinch can find any reason to resent it. Yet when the real and full meaning of Christmas is proclaimed, increasingly there are those who are uncomfortable with the idea of a sovereign Savior sent to redeem and rule over the world. That's so true. And it represents King Herod's response and his posture to this announcement of Jesus' birth. I want you to think about why it bothered Herod so much. Herod was the king of Judea. He was appointed by the Roman government. So that means that that, that a heaven-sent king, sought out by wise men from the east, was a clear challenge to Herod's throne. For Jesus to reign, Herod would have to be deposed. And if you know anything about Herod, you know that he wasn't fond of losing his power. In fact, history tells us that he was paranoid about losing his power. Go Google Herod. You think your family's dysfunctional. He puts the fun in dysfunctional. He had his own wife killed 
Because he thought she was conspiring against him. And for good measure, her mother and brother as well. A few years later, they say he had all three of his own sons killed for the same exact reason. He was paranoid. They say that he was, when he was inaugurated as king, he invited all his family's enemies to a festival to, as kind of a show of peace. And then he had them all ambushed and killed during the party. They say it was a killer party. Guy was crazy, man. He was power hungry. He he would do anything to preserve his power and control over people. Here's the truth. I want you to get this. While most people today won't oppose Jesus with the same violence that King Herod did, they nonetheless oppose him for the same reason. There are many people who recognize that for Jesus to be king, it means they can't be. They can't rule their own life if Jesus is given his rightful place. I have found in the United States of America that people aren't particularly intimidated by a baby in a manger. That's cute to them. Most folks are fine with that image of Jesus. What bothers them is the grown up Jesus who asks questions like he did in Luke 6 verse 46. Why call ye me Lord, Lord and do not the things which I say. They recognize the challenge to their personal freedom when Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Hey, they don't mind dressing up for church on Sunday, but picking up their cross on Monday is a little extreme. They don't mind singing silent night when Christmas rolls around, but singing I surrender all. That's a little much for them to swallow. See, Herod knew that a king had been born. And don't be mistaken all these years later that believing that Jesus is anything less than that. He is still the king of kings. He is still the Lord of lords. Which means that you cannot be the king of your world and follow Jesus at the same time. He wants preeminence in your life, not just a small part in it. That's why King Herod was intimidated by the coming of Jesus. He didn't want to lose control. Verse 3 adds on this, all Jerusalem was troubled with him. You'd think Jerusalem, out of all places and people, would be eager to welcome their long-promised ruler, the seed of David, whose kingdom was to be right there in Jerusalem. And yet they were too troubled at the news of his birth to even rejoice. Why? The only thing I can figure is that they were comfortable with the status quo. Only personal opinion here. They, They don't really like Herod. Nobody liked Herod. If they liked him, they were pretending to like him so he wouldn't kill them. They hated living under Roman rule. Caesar would tax them so much. Herod would tax them even more. Uh, uh, Historians say that that with those taxing uh, uh, things together, uh, that they would have to give up 75% of their wage to the government. But they just weren't that eager really for an uprising and a major change in their way of life. Unfortunately, there are many people today who don't really like the message of Jesus because they recognize what a change it will mean for them to follow him. It's, it, listen, it's not that they're happy with the way their life is going. But they aren't quite desperate enough to repent of their sins and give their life completely to King Jesus. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. 
Some people are just too satisfied with the old creature to want Christ to make them into a new one. That's why for some, Christmas is an intimidating story. They're afraid of what they have to give up or allow God to change if they give their life to him. That's why I am so cautious. I'm so cautious of just emotionally having somebody pray a prayer. When they're at a rock bottom point in their life or their marriage or their finances or they lost their job. Because I'm so afraid sometimes that people want Jesus to get them out of a hole. But once they get on level ground, they leave Jesus behind. Which means they probably never really trusted in him in the first place. That's why I will always include in the gospel by God's grace a repentance of sin. Because, listen... If you want Jesus to save you, you must be willing to humbly make him the Lord of your life. You can't be king. Well, I'm scared about what, what, what it's going to cause me to change and have to give up. Then you aren't ready to get saved. You need to be willing. And I know there will always be an ounce of hesitation and fear and uncertainty because you've given yourself to these things for so long. And so to turn your back on him, I don't know if you'll ever want to do that. It'll just be like, yeah, I wake up one day and yeah, I want to just turn my back on my sin. Sin is enticing. Your flesh is strong. But until you're willing to trust Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to help you fight that sin, you are not ready to come to King Jesus. You are still wanting to have the throne of your own heart. Jesus doesn't want a couch on the side. He wants a throne, a throne. And and, and don't, don't get as caught up in everything you stand to lose if you come to Jesus. I'm here to tell you, there's some things to gain if you come to Jesus. All the devil's going to get you to think about is what now you've got to say no to. But when you say no to the flesh, you're saying a better yes to something else. I've never in my whole life, I've never known someone that truly repented of the sins and had faith in the gospel and got saved and said, you know, that was the worst decision of my life. That was so dumb. I talked to a lot of people that said I was super nervous to do it. I I was super skeptical. I had to place every ounce of faith that God gave me in Jesus Christ. And it took a lot of help and a lot of people surrounding me. To turn my back on sin. But when I finally started going down the straight and narrow way, I am so thankful I did. So thankful I did. So while you might be in the posture of Herod today. Oh man, I'm just not ready to give up what I I like so much. Don't forget. Don't forget. That on the other side of surrender is a life of abundant joy. And amazing opportunities that God has for your life. Not, not all sunshine and roses and all of that. Not going to get a check in the mail for a million dollars because you said yes to Jesus. But I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit indwells you, and now he's helping you in your marriage, he's helping you at work. And, and the word of God is your absolute final authority in life. There is something to be said about living that kind of life. All right. Here's the final point today. For some, Christmas is an insignificant message the third response comes from a group of people called the chief priest 
and scribes. Look at back at our text at verse 4. Herod, this, once he heard about the wise men going to the newborn king, he, he brought in this group of people, these scribes. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. He says, tell me right now, tell me. What you know from your Old Testament studies, you tell me where Jesus Christ is born. I got to find him. I got to rid the world of this kid. The chief, the chief priests and scribes, they were, they were the religious leaders for the Jewish people. They were the ones teaching in the temple. They were the, the ones overseeing the spiritual life in Jerusalem. They were exposed from the Old Testament to the message of Jesus' birth, but watch this. Unlike the wise men who were inspired by it, unlike Herod and Jerusalem who were intimidated by it, these men essentially responded with indifference. They knew the word of God. That's why Herod brought them in. In fact, when he called them in, they didn't have to think about it. They didn't have to phone a friend to ask for help. They were the friends people called with the hard Bible questions. That's why in, in, in verse 5 and 6, uh, They they pointed back to Micah's prophecy. They paraphrased it in verse 6. When Herod asked, where's the Messiah going to be born? They knew the answer immediately. They had all the facts down about the coming Messiah. They knew what the Bible said about him. Yet, sadly, we don't find them rushing out of Herod's presence in search of their long-awaited Lord. This is so sad. Dr. Ivor Powell says of these men, one would almost expect these religious leaders, having heard the news that the Messiah had been born, to start running in the direction of the nearby birthplace. Alas, Matthew was unable to record that event. The priest who knew so much did so little. These men had heads full of knowledge, but their hearts were empty of the true saving faith that would cause them to run to Jesus. They had facts without faith. And I fear there are more of these kinds of men and women alive today than ever before. People who know all about the angels, all about Mary, all about Joseph, all about the shepherds, all about the manger scene, all about Bethlehem. Yet having all of those facts, they have no true faith. Christmas comes and Christmas goes every year. And while they may nod their head in agreement of its meaning, they've yet to bow their knee in adoration to Jesus. You don't get to heaven because you nodded your head in agreement. You get to heaven because you bowed your knee in humble submission to Jesus as your King and Lord of your life. Do you know what's so sad about these scribes missing out on Jesus? You know what's so sad? Bethlehem was only six miles from Jerusalem. Six miles. So close that you could walk it in two hours. If you're a good walker. Six miles. And none of the scribes cared enough to go and check out the rumor that the long-awaited Messiah had been born. Six miles from Jesus meant six miles from salvation. Six miles from forgiveness. Six miles from peace. Six miles from abundant joys. Six miles from eternal life. Think about this. The Magi, the wise men, they knew so little. Yet they traveled so far. Over 600 miles they traveled. 
The scribes knew so much, yet they wouldn't even venture six miles down the road. And some of you today are perhaps just six miles away from Jesus. You're so close. Jesus has been and once again is being revealed to you in this moment. You are understanding better and better who he is and why he came. You even feel God working in your heart. You feel God drawing you to a point of salvation as I speak right now. But hear me, leaving this place today with a head knowledge of Jesus will do you no good in eternity. You have to have a personal relationship with him. That's why Jesus said that one day at the great white throne judgment, he will look at not a few. Jesus used the word many. Who, who did many wonderful things for him and even used, used his name as leverage to do those things. And Jesus will look at them and say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Why will Jesus say that? He says this, because I never knew you. It's not really just about what you say and it's not really about just what you do. It's about who you know today. It's about who you know. The encouraging side of that is this. You don't have to understand the full copy of God's word to get saved. It's not about just what you know. More importantly, it's about who you know. Knowledge and understanding of scripture will come. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to be a dynamic Christian. You don't have to know where, where the book of Ezekiel is in the Old Testament. You just need to know who Jesus is. You need to know why he came. You know why he came? Because you sinned. And I sinned. And God is our creator. Cannot dwell with sin. Yet he wants to dwell with us for all eternity. He's too holy to just turn the other way with sin. We cannot get into heaven with our sin. It has separated us from God. So Jesus had to come to be that bridge. He had to come to be our righteousness. He had to come to take up for us. He had to come to be our substitute. He had to come to be our advocate. He had to come so that when we stand before God one day, God won't see us in our sin. He will see Jesus and his righteousness. My hope is built on nothing less but Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust in anything or anyone else to get me to heaven but the precious, spotless, sinless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came because you could not get to heaven without him. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, Jesus says. Do you know him today? Do you know him? Are you willing to follow him? So I read Matthew 2. One thing that strikes me above all others is that everybody involved had the same basic information. They all knew a baby had been born in Bethlehem, and they all knew who the baby was. Herod knew and tried to kill him. The scribes knew and ignored him. The wise men knew and sought after him. While millions around the world, billions maybe, 
will celebrate the Christmas holiday. Not everyone feels the same when they hear the true message of Christmas. For some, the truth of Jesus, even as preached today, is inspirational. It moves you to want to worship God who became flesh for the sake of our salvation. Others want little to do with the king. You heard this version of the Christmas story and you're like, yep, he's right. I ain't ready for that. I don't want none of that right now. Maybe when life gets a little harder, I'll need that. But I'm okay right now coming to church every once in a while, putting on the Sunday clothes, kind of going through the motions, but I'm not going to pretend to like that he's the king of my life. And some are just altogether indifferent. You've heard the story, you know the facts, but you've yet to respond to God for, for, for what he's done for you through Christ. What about you today? When it comes to the message of Christmas, do you hear what I hear? Are you inspired, intimidated, or indifferent? How you respond to Jesus in this life will determine where you spend eternity after this life is over. Do not say no to him if he's knocking on the door of your heart and wants to come into your life today. We're going to give you an opportunity to say yes to him today. And I hope that you'll do that. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed?